Chapter Seven of Gunman's Reckoning by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. He found himself in a large room which, before he could examine a single feature of it, was effectively curtained from his sight. Straight into his face shot a current of violent white light that made him blink. There was the natural recoil, but in Donnegan, recoils were generally protected by several strata of willpower and seldom showed in any physical action. On the present occasion, his first dismay was swiftly overwhelmed by a cold anger at the insulting trick. This was not the trick of a helpless invalid. Donnegan could not see a single thing before him, but he obeyed a very deep instinct and advanced straight into the current of light. He was glad to see the light switched away. The comparative darkness washed across his eyes in a pleasant wave, and he was now able to distinguish a few things in the room. It was, as he had first surmised, quite large. The ceiling was high, the proportions comfortably spacious, but what astounded Donnegan was the real elegance of the furnishings. There was no mistaking the deep, silken texture of the rug upon which he stepped. The glow of light barely reached the wall, and there showed faintly in streaks along yellowish hangings. Beside a table which supported a big reading lamp, gasoline, no doubt, from the intensity of its light, sat Colonel Macon with a large volume spread across his knees. Donnegan saw two highlights, fine silver hair that covered the head of the invalid and a pair of white hands fallen idly upon the surface of the big book. For if the silver hair suggested age, the smoothly finished hands suggested perennial youth. They were strong, carefully tended, complacent hands. They suggested to Donnegan a man sufficient unto himself. Mr. Donnegan, I am sorry that I cannot rise to receive you. Now, what pleasant accident has brought me the favor of this call. Donnegan was taken aback again, and this time more strongly than by the flare of light against his eyes, for in the voice he recognized the quality of the girl, the same softness, the same velvety richness, though the pitch was a bass. In the voice of this man there was the same suggestion that the tone would crack if it were forced either up or down. With this great difference, one could hardly conceive of a situation which would push that man's voice beyond its monotone. It flowed with deadly, all-embracing softness. It clung about one, it fascinated, and baffled the mind of the listener. But Donnegan was not in the habit of being baffled by voices, neither was he a lover of formality. He looked about for a place to sit down, and immediately discovered that while the invalid sat in an enormous easy-chair, bordered by shelves and supplied with wheels for raising and lowering the back and for propelling the chair about the room on its rubber tires, it was the only chair in the room which could make any pretensions towards comfort. As a matter of fact, aside from this one immense chair, devoted to the pleasure of the invalid, there was nothing in the room for his visitors to sit upon except two or three miserable backless stools. 
But Donnegan was not long taken aback. He tucked his cap under his arm, bowed profoundly in honor of the colonel's compliment, and brought one of the stools to a place where it was no nearer the rather ominous circle of the lamplight than was the invalid himself. With his eyes accustomed to the new light, Donnegan could now take better stock of his host. He saw a rather handsome face, with eyes exceedingly blue, young and active. But the features of Macon, as well as his body, were blurred and obscured by a great fatness. He was truly a prodigious man, and one could understand the stoutness with which the invalid chair was made. His great wrist dimpled like the wrist of a healthy baby, and his face was so enlarged with superfluous flesh that the lower part of it quite dwarfed the upper. He seemed, at first glance, a man with a low forehead and bright, careless eyes, and a body made immobile by flesh and sickness, a man whose spirits despised and defied pain. Yet a second glance showed that the forehead was, after all, a nobly proportioned one, and for all the bulk of that figure, for all the crippled chair, Donnegan would not have been surprised to see the bulk spring lightly out of the chair to meet him. For his own part, sitting back on the stool with his cap tucked under his arm and his hands folded about one knee, he met the faint cold smile of the colonel with a broad grin of his own. "'I can put it in a nutshell,' said Donnegan. "'I was tired, dead beat, needed a handout, and rapped at your door. Along comes a mystery in the shape of an ugly-looking woman who opens the door to me, tries to shut me out. I decided to come in. She insists on keeping me outside. All at once I see that I have to get into the house. I am brought in. Your daughter tries to steer me off, sees that the job is more than she can get away with, and shelves me off upon you. And that, Colonel Macon, is the pleasant accident which brings you the favor of this call." It would have been a speech both stupid and pert in the mouth of another, but Donnegan knew how to flavor words with a touch of mockery of himself as well as another. There were two manners in which this speech could have been received, with a wink or with a smile, but it would have been impossible to hear it and grow frigid. As for the colonel, he smiled. It was a tricky smile, however, as Donnegan felt. It spread easily upon that vast face, and again went out and left all to the dominion of the cold, bright eyes. "'A case of curiosity,' commented the colonel. "'A case of hunger,' said Donnegan. "'My dear Mr. Donnegan, put it that way, if you wish. "'And a case of blankets needed for one night. "'Really? Have you ventured into such country as this without any equipment?' "'Outside of my purse, my equipment is of the invisible kind.' "'Wits,' suggested the colonel. "'Thank you. Not at all. You hinted at it yourself. However, a hint is harder to take than to make.' The colonel raised his faultless right hand, and oddly enough, his great corpulence did not extend in the slightest degree to his hand, but stopped short at the wrists, and stroked his immense chin. His skin was like Lou Macon's, except that in place of the white-flowered bloom, his was a parchment, dead pallor. He lowered his hand with the same slow precision and folded it with the other, 
all the time probing Donnegan with his difficult eyes. Unfortunately, most unfortunately, it is impossible for me to accommodate you, Mr. Donnegan. The reply was not flippant, but quick. Not at all. I am the easiest person in the world to accommodate. The big man smiled sadly. My fortune has fallen upon evil days, sir. It is no longer what it was. There are in this house three habitable rooms. This one, my daughter's apartment, and the kitchen where old Hagee sleeps. Otherwise, you are in a rat-trap of a place. He shook his head, a slow, decisive motion. A spare blanket, said Donnegan, will be enough. There was another sigh and another shake of the head. Even a corner of a rug to roll up in will do perfectly. You see, it is impossible for me to entertain you. Bare boards will do well enough for me, Colonel Macon, and if I have a piece of bread, a plate of cold beans, anything, I can entertain myself. I'm sorry to see you so compliant, Mr. Donnegan, because that makes my refusal seem the more unkind. But I cannot have you sleeping on the bare floor, not on such a night. Pneumonia comes on one like a cat in the dark in such weather. It is really impossible to keep you here, sir. Hmm, said Donnegan. He began to feel that he was stumped, and it was a most unusual feeling for him. Besides, for a young fellow like you, with your agility, what is eight miles? Walk down the road, and you will come to a place where you will be made at home and fed like a king. Eight miles, that's not much, but on such a night as this. There was a faint glint in the eyes of the colonel. Was he not sharpening his wits for his contest of words and enjoying it? The wind will be at your back and buoy your steps. It will shorten the eight miles to four. Very definitely, Donnegan felt that the other was reading him. What was it that he saw as he turned the pages? There is one thing you fail to take into your accounting. Ah? Uh? I have an irresistible aversion to walking. Ah, repeated Macon. Or exercise in any form. Then you are unfortunate to be in this country without a horse. Unfortunate, perhaps, but the fact is that I am here. Very sorry to trouble you, though, Colonel. I'm rarely troubled, said the Colonel coldly, and since I have no means of accommodation, the laws of hospitality rest light on my shoulders. Yet I have an odd thought, replied Donnegan. Well, you have expressed a number already, it seems to me. It is this, that you have already made up your mind to keep me here. End of chapter 7